Well, you know, the, the 4th of July has such great music. I brought my music stand and thought you would appreciate me singing my sermon today. So <laughs> let me just get these notes. Oh, that was underwhelming. <laughs> However, we've already enjoyed great music from Taylor White and Peggy Graff and, and the red visual that our choir and, and we have, uh, and your red, white, and blue this morning. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, my name is Mike Marshall. I am the Elder Marshall, and I'm honored to fill in for our senior pastor, Reverend Lance Marshall, who is enjoying time with his family this morning. And this really is a good, good day for us to worship together. Did you know that it's going to be less than 100 degrees outside today? <laughs> Lovely. And in addition to the music that we've enjoyed in the sanctuary already and will continue to, I hope that you know that out in the garden, at the end of this service, DFW Brass will be in the garden playing patriotic pieces. They were incredible at 1030, and they will be just as good at noontime. And out in the garden, there will be popsicles. Even though Lisa Helm is not here with us today, she made sure that we would enjoy popsicles today. And this is in honor of that famous phrase, baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, Chevrolet, and popsicles. I've loved the 4th of July celebration since I was a child. Two years ago, the 4th was on a Sunday, and I told you about my hometown being the location of the Illinois State Freedom Bell. And as long as I can remember, there have been parades and fireworks, carnival rides, those old-time bandshell concerts, and lots and lots of cotton candy. But sadly, when I was a child, we had not learned yet of the greatness of Fletcher's corny dogs. The motto of Mount Morris is let freedom ring, and thinking about it still makes me smile. Speaking of smiling, my wife and I do that whenever we remember our trip last fall to North Carolina and Virginia and Washington, D.C. As it turned out, it was a celebration both of our marriage and also of our nation's history. We visited places like, like Colonial Williamsburg, which is just down the road from the College of William and Mary. We went to Mount Vernon, to the home of President George Washington, and we saw this really charming parlor where George and his wife Martha used to entertain their guests. We went to D.C. and went back and forth on the National Mall at one end, seeing the U.S. Capitol building, and then, two miles later, going to the Lincoln Memorial. Because, I don't know if you knew this, but for people like me who are born in Illinois, it is a legal requirement for us to visit the Lincoln Memorial. So I'm now good. We also went to Monticello. Monticello, the home of Thomas Jefferson. It was a cold, rainy day, and the pictures we took were just kind of 
So they had a great gift shop, and Jan bought me things in the gift shop. Thank you again for that. She bought me my official Thomas Jefferson mug. And I want to tell you, just holding it makes me feel a little bit smarter. <laughs> she also bought me this book by the, the great David McCulloch. Uh, David McCulloch, one of the great American historians, he died last year at the age of 89. This book is called The American Spirit, Who We Are and What We Stand For. And I want to read a very short section toward the end of his introduction. He wrote this about five years ago. He said, I have no idea how many speeches I've given, starting at least 50 years ago, but I do know I have spoken in all 50 states, and I'm still at it, because I always enjoy seeing our country and meeting people and listening to what they have to say. Yes, we have much to be seriously concerned about, but the vitality and creative energy the fundamental decency, the tolerance and insistence on truth, and the good-heartedness of the American people are there still plainly. Many a time I've gone off on a speaking date feeling a bit down, but then I returned with my outlook greatly restored, having seen again and again long-standing American values still in place, good people, involved in joint efforts to accomplish changes for the better, the American spirit still at work. I love that phrase, good people involved in joint efforts to accomplish changes for the better. Joint efforts. That's a big part of that scripture reading that Samuel shared with us a moment ago. Uh, that reading that uses the wonderfully unique language of John's gospel. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Abide in me as I abide in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Just kind of savor that for a moment. Abide in Jesus. Make your home in Jesus. Cherish your relationship with Jesus. It makes a difference that is undeniable because we become more joyful and patient and kind and generous and compassionate. We bear fruit. The Spark Children's Bible has Jesus saying it this way, when you've joined with me in love, think about that children's message that we just enjoyed. When you've joined with me in love, I will help you live the way that God wants you to live. The sermon series that Pastor Lance started a few weeks ago is called, I Have My Doubts. And he has mentioned to us that his inspiration came from a series last summer done by Pastor Adam Hamilton at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. And during these past weeks, 
Lance has reminded us that we all have doubts, that doubts are part of a healthy faith, and our doubts can help point us toward the things in life that are true and life-giving. And I'm sure that you've figured out already that the, uh, the sermon series phrase that pays was verse number seven. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. There's also a similar statement by Jesus in Matthew's gospel in the 21st chapter, where it says, whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. Friends, I have my doubts. Now, since I don't want you to keep you here literally until the fourth begins on Tuesday, I'm going to greatly pare down my list of unanswered prayers. But I do want to share a few of them with you. I prayed that my first pair of PF flyers would make me the fastest kid in my class. That didn't happen. I also prayed that I would grow to about six, seven or so and have a long, distinguished NBA career. That didn't happen. In 1980, I prayed that people would say that I looked exactly like Tom Selleck from Magnum P.I. <laughs> that definitely didn't happen. In college, I even, I prayed that I would pass that first test in my college business statistics class, the one that I didn't understand and I didn't study very well for, and that didn't happen. And on a more somber note, I prayed as a child that my mother wouldn't die of pancreatic cancer in 1964, and that didn't happen. Lots of us here have that last one in common for a parent or a spouse or a child or a dear friend. And so because of that, I simply want to name the elephant in the room. Our prayers aren't always answered. It doesn't matter how strong our faith is or what church we belong to, we don't always get what we ask for. So why did Jesus say that? This topic alone could be the focus of a long, long sermon series. And a few minutes this morning can barely scratch the surface. With that in mind, I am so grateful that Adam Hamilton wrote a book a few years ago called Why? And a number of us in this church studied that book last summer. The second chapter deals with unanswered prayers, like the one that I mentioned about my mother. Here are a handful of his teachings that I find very, very helpful. Number one, when Jesus spoke, he often used a figure of speech called hyperbole. It's an overstatement or an exaggeration to make a point. Like any of us here saying, 
I'm so hungry that I could eat a horse. Hyperbole was commonly used by prophets and teachers in the first century. With Jesus, it's important that we take his words seriously, but not always literally. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, he said that if your hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off. Or if your eye causes you to sin, you should pluck it out. I don't believe that Jesus was calling for self-mutilization. I think he was saying that sin is a serious matter and we should do everything we can to avoid it. So, when we return to us asking for whatever we wish in prayer, we can use the reality of hyperbole to look at the verses in John and in Matthew in a different light. Now we can imagine Jesus saying to us, go to God with your burdens. Be bold when you pray. Trust that God hears your prayers. And in ways we don't fully understand, God will see us through the situation we face. God will never, ever abandon us. Number two, in the face of suffering or adversity, God's answer to our prayers is often not to deliver us or others from the suffering, but rather it is to walk with us through the suffering and then to transform the suffering and to use it to change our lives. There's a Latin phrase that's called ora et labora, and it means pray and work. We pray, and then we do something to help prayer be answered. I alone can't cure cancer, and I alone can't keep many tragedies from happening. But I can link my heart with you, and I can link my heart with other people, and I can help others, and we can help others in amazingly practical ways. Like my Aunt Kay, she is the one who took me to her house on the day my mother died. I can still picture her face. And in my mind's eye, I can still see her Formica kitchen table that we sat at together that day. None of this implies that God never works in miracles. It's okay for us to pray for miracles. There's never anything wrong with that. There's never, thing, there's never anything wrong with asking. But miracles are miracles because they're rare. Number three, when we're asking for God's intervention in our lives or in the lives of others, these are called intercessory prayers. Adam Hamilton suggests that prayer is not primarily about intercession. He says, 
God is not a divine vending machine where we slip in a prayer and out pops a miracle. Prayer is much more about entering into relationship with God. It's much more about yielding our lives to God. It's less of a transaction and more of an investment and even more of a communion. It's a conversation, a conversation with a God who uses people to hold us tightly and to reassure us that somehow everything will be okay. I am the vine, you are the branches. We are connected and we're placed in community like branches on the vine. We are so blessed to have joint efforts, joint efforts with God and with Jesus and with one another. Because of that, we can move from our personal desires toward a prayerful relationship with Christ. We trust that God will provide our needs much more than simply the wants that we often request. My wife Jan and I love traveling to Fredericksburg and we're always struck by the beauty of the Nimitz Museum. Admiral Chester Nimitz was born and raised in Fredericksburg before serving as the Commander-in-Chief for the U.S. Pacific Fleet in World War II. Toward the end of his life, here's what he said about what his lifetime of experiences taught him about prayer. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of people. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all people most richly blessed, and we are as well. Let us pray. For your presence among us, O oh God, for the gifts of community, for the love of Christ that we experience in the sacrament of communion, and for the relationship and the conversations that we can have with you each and every day, we give you thanks as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.